offered me two free personal training sessions. Uh, one of which I had from being a member of Level Red for so long. Uh, and the other, I guess, just to kind of get me back into the gym and sell me on more personal training sessions. Um, mm-hmm. But holy shit, was I not able to move at all last night. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, the one time I worked out feeling like that. <laughs> um, okay, how do we want to get back into like actually talking about the the episode? Because okay, so well, I haven't here, said I'm, 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 I haven't I'm, said welcome to no hugging, no learning yet. Okay, well okay. here I'm going to I'm going to do this. Okay, that that is my uh, director's clapboard. So everything before that ha- has been cut. Okay, so so now we're into our our pre-show banter. Uh, that that isn't inflammatory of any of our former employers. <laughs> okay, got it. Right. No more slander. <laughs> if you want the slander, uh, keep an eye out for the Patreon. That's the that's the one hundred fifty thousand dollar Patreon level. <laughs> <laughs> it is that expensive to pay both of our legal fees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay, so should we get going? Uh, m- might as well. I don't know how much. Uh, how how much will make the the final edit, but we'll we'll play it by ear, I guess. Yeah, well, you you can you can go through, and I'll, I'll definitely try to listen this week <laughs> to, to hear edited this. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing: watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy, and I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about season eight, episode seventeen, "The English Patient." But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, "The Pothole"? Uh, we wanted to know if uh, Kristen Davis, we wanted to do a little shallow dive on Kristen Davis and whether or not that was a would be considered a cameo at this point in 1997. We're still in 97, right? Yeah. Um, we're like, uh, yeah, kind of early 97 still. And Kristen Davis, of course, best known for playing Charlotte in the HBO romantic comedy series Sex and the City, which started in 1998 and ran until 2004. Uh, she got Emmy nominations and a Golden Globe nomination in 2004 for that role. And she reprised it in the two films and the upcoming reboot, for that matter. Davis oh. is, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure the reboot was a thing. But I, I'm guessing that, like, she was cast and they shot this, like, the fall after she was in Seinfeld. It does seem like it. Um, but I, I still want to call this a cameo because Davis's big break came in 1995 playing the villainous Brooke Armstrong in the Fox primetime soap opera Melrose Place, which, of course, oh. has been referenced on the show. Wow. Oh, my God. We just got really meta. Yeah. They, they, they've acknowledged the show on Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. And in fact... I want to say I want to look up the script really quick because I want to say they might have even because I remember them talking about. Did they it. name drop her character? I want to say yes. Let me see. Oh man! Wait, where? Oh wait. Oh no! Jerry says, "Oh that Michael, I hate him. He's just so smug." I really thought because she was a villain that it was going to be like, "Oh, I hate Brooke. She's so you know whatever." But I remember him specifically oh, saying, "Okay, <laughs> something about a character." Yeah, and this was in the beard. Which was um, episode 102. I don't know where that fell in the seasons. Um, the beard was season six, episode two? Oh, the 16th episode. Never mind. 16th. Season six, episode 16. So, yeah, just a few. Uh, and that was in 1995. So, she would have been on the show, conceivably. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, very uh, very meta casting by Seinfeld. Uh, she left that show, Melrose Place, after one year when producers decided to kill off the character. The way that sentence is written on Wikipedia makes it sound like it was her choice. She left the show when her character died. <laughs> she left the show when producers decided to kill her character. Well, yeah, I, mean, I guess. It, it, it's a soap, so you can yeah. always be brought back in like flashbacks and as a ghost. Yeah. Or, or just straight up reincarnated. Nothing is Nothing is out of line on a soap. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it says the following year, Davis guest starred in two episodes of Seinfeld. So we're going to see her again. Wait. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is right. Uh, we will see. What was her name? J- Jenna? Something like that. Uh, yeah. I, say that's I think right. that's, yeah. that's what it was. I think yeah. Jenna. Jenna. Yeah. yeah. Jenna. Uh, Jenna. Uh, yeah. So so there you go. I, I'm going to say that was a cameo. I think people would be watching and, and primetime viewers would go, hey, it's Brooke from Melrose Place. All right. We also wanted to uh, do a little dive on Phil Rizzuto, of course, who... George has uh, the keychain that falls in the pothole. And Philip Francis Rizzuto, who died in 07 at age 89, was nicknamed the Scooter. And he was a Major League (laughs) Baseball shortstop. He spent his entire 13-year baseball career with the New York Yankees, playing from 1941 to 1956. And was there a strike in in the middle there or something? Because that's not 13 years. That's uh 15 years so i don't know somebody needs to fact check that on wikipedia he he spent his entire 13 year career playing 15 years for the yankees yeah uh and he was uh you know who would know that and is probably screaming at the top of her lungs right now cat yes <laughs> our, our, st- our baseball statistician um yes. i'm sure there's a reason for that fuzzy math there uh, he was elected to the uh, baseball hall of fame in 1994 after his playing career he, he enjoyed a 40-year career as a radio and television announcer for the yankees his idiosyncratic style and unpredictable digressions charmed listeners while his lively play-by-play brought a distinct energy to his broadcast and he was well known for his trademark expression holy cow which of course uh plays a part in the episode <laughs> Uh, Rizzuto also became known for saying unbelievable or did you see that to describe a great play and would call somebody a huckleberry if he did something that Rizzuto didn't like. Uh, During game broadcasts, he would frequently wish listeners a happy birthday or anniversary and send get well wishes to fans and speak well of restaurants he liked or the cannoli he ate between innings. (laughs) <laughs> this uh, I I know I know a lot of this got cut out for our our final release, but this sounds so much like old radio. Yeah, you know, yeah. like very like Larry King oh, style broadcast. You you want to be successful in this business, kid? You got to go on air and read celebrity birthdays. <laughs> yeah, and, and and just just stream of consciousness that like old man stream of consciousness <laughs> style broadcasting. <laughs> Where it's like, there's no segues, it's just all, yeah, all digression. Uh, And Rizzuto, so sometimes he would just digress so much that he would distract himself, and he devised a unique scoring notation of WW for his scorecard, and it stood for wasn't watching. (laughs) What? Oh my god. I've always, (laughs) like, (laughs) I've had some, I've been at stations where I've had some clout. And I could do this kind of like who the fuck cares style broadcasting. But like whenever I hear about guys like this, and I'm like, how do you get to that level where you're so confident that like, wait till you hear this. So he also joked about leaving the game early, saying to his wife, I'll be home soon, uh, Cora. And I got to get over that bridge, referring to the nearby often congested George Washington Bridge, which he would use to get back, uh, back to his home in Hillside. And in later years, he did have a deal where he would announce the first six innings and then just go, just leave. 
Oh my god! Yeah, and it was just common knowledge that he, you know, he was getting up there and he didn't want to do it anymore. And and the TV director would would show a shot of the George Washington Bridge after Rizzuto had departed, you know, just to kind of like say, well, you know, he's he's the, he's on the bridge somewhere. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I've always oh wanted to like reach the level of like that sort of <laughs> like I'm going to do what I want level of of clout, you know, where it's like what are you going to do? <laughs> Fire me? Fine, you know. Like I don't need this job anyway, uh and I do, I only want to call six innings. That's an official game. That's all I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Although Mel Allen is to this day identified as the voice of the Yankees, Rizzuto was the longest-serving broadcaster in Yankees history. He called games for 40 years, as I mentioned, uh, where Mel, whereas Mel Allen uh, only called 35 years of Yankees games. Oh, rookie. I know. What's the matter? Uh, so there's uh, our little dive on Phil Rizzuto. Uh, what about the Arthur Burkhardt Expressway? Well, uh, I was kind of surprised to find out that is a fictional roadway. It does not exist. Really? Yeah, it does not exist in New York City or anywhere. And it's named after Arthur Berghardt, who is a retired American actor, best known for per- portraying Jack Scott on the soap opera One Life to Live. Uh, he's also <laughs> a, a well-renowned voiceover uh, actor. He was Devastator in The Transformers. He was Stalker, Iceberg, and Destro in G.I. Joe, which is an iconic what? voice from my childhood. Yeah, I know. Like, that was a boss voice. Like, I can hear Destro in my head. Just that's how ingrained it is. And he was, oh, Big Pete in several Disney video games. I'm Big Pete. I know what to do. That's my Big Pete impression, which oh, I do wow. <laughs> for my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could be Big Pete. Maybe that's a good job for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just need to start like Twitter stalking all voiceover artists and just say, look, I can do a good big Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you don't like, did you know that Tom Hanks's brother does his voice, does the voice of Woody in anything that's not a Toy Story movie? Yeah. Yeah. I did know that. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and it sounds exactly like him. I mean, when you know that you're like, oh yeah, that is a little off. I never noticed it. But like he's, his brother makes bank doing that for Tom Hanks. And so if there's a Woody toy or a Woody video game, or I think even some, uh, I think even the last Toy Story short, Lamp Life, is not Tom Hanks. Wow. It's his brother. Yeah. So now, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I did know that Tim Allen was not the voice of Buzz Lightyear in the Buzz Lightyear series. Right. That was Patrick Warburton. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I never knew that. I, or I don't think I did. I feel like it might have come there, up before. There's a really good uh I think I've told you about Defunct Land, right? Yeah. There's a really good uh Defunct TV video about that and I'm pretty sure it was Patrick Warburton that that voiced Buzz. But I know whenever they released the first 3 episodes, they strung them together and made a made for TV movie out of those 3 episodes and Tim Allen did revoice those. Oh. But those are the only 3 episodes that uh his voice was on. Huh. I'll have to check that out. I wonder if that's on Disney Plus yet. It is not. Ah, oh, drag. Yeah, I checked. <laughs> uh, but I know it's come up before because it, like one of the actors that we did a dive on did a voice on that, and I can't remember which one it was now. But a Seinfeld actor. There's there's more crossover there from maybe it was maybe it was when we did a little dive on Patrick Warburton when he was introduced. But um, oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I know it's come up before, but yeah. Uh, and Arthur Burkhart. So he'd been called in to audition 
for Seinfeld several times, and he was never cast. So they finally just put his name into an episode, I guess, <laughs> as a consolation prize, the Arthur Burkhardt Expressway. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised to learn that. So this had nothing to do with the episode, and it's not even the way that Jerry intended on using the word, but he said that Jenna, because she used the toothbrush from the toilet, she has a taint. And, you know, we, <laughs> we wanted to know when... Saving the best for last. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to know the origins of taint. Uh, and so I, I looked up taint on Wikipedia. I was like, I hope taint has its own Wikipedia page. Well, if you look up taint slang on Wikipedia, it will direct you to to perineum, which is which is the medical term for the taint. And by the way, that Wikipedia page is not safe for work because they have actual photographs with arrows oh. pointing at where the taint is on males and females. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. But you know that's oh, not no. a, that's not a problem for us Ted because we don't work. So NSFW <laughs> no longer has any <laughs> now, now we're strictly bound by not safe for life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, I never liked that anyway. So, um, yeah, all I needed was for Sarah to walk in and find me on the perineum page. Like, what do you do? I was like, it's for work. It's for the podcast. Okay, this is my work now. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, a website called Bi- Bionity, B-I-O-N-I-T-Y, Bionity. I don't know. Um, they have a very informative article about taint origins. Uh, the, huh. the term and its colloquial origins are mentioned in a 1955 book by Olympia Press called Play This Love With Me. Hmm. And okay. It's uh, one of Olympia's most popular and most pirated works, apparently. It's, it's, about, it's a tale of Willie, a sculptor of erotic appendages, his loves, and the rich baron they try to take down in an intricate scam... And it traverses the highs and lows of Paris with samplings of drug culture and the aristocracy on offer. Play my uh, play this love with me reaches its astonishing conclusion in a moment of devil worship at once comic, erotic, and absolutely breathtaking that represents an extraordinary achievement, even from a publisher that accomplished so much. That's uh, oh from the God. yeah from the official <laughs> I think Google Books description of it. And honestly, it sounds like a good plot descriptor for Rochelle Rochelle like I bet Rochelle Rochelle has a lot in common with it does play this yeah. love with me. <laughs> an erotic journey from Milan to Minsk but so I, I was surprised to find that it went back to 1955 after that the next time it really pops up at least according to this article is a season four episode of the HBO television series Mr. Show entitled it's insane this guy's taint uh, about a comedy sketch about a guy who makes a small fortune through the publication of an adult magazine centered on the taint. And uh, David Cross evidently continued to use the term in his stand-up comedy. Um, but again, they didn't, they didn't coin it or anything like that. Part of the term's allure is that it has not become part of mainstream vocabulary. Uh, even though everybody knows what it means, I guess it really it's, the perineum is not a body part that really comes up that much or has to be referenced. You know, So I guess maybe that's mm-hmm. why. In 2003, a person claiming to be David Cross began writing to the Milwaukee Journey Journey sorry, Journal Sentinel, and inserting the term, it's insane, this guy's taint, into his correspondence. Several of the letters were published and are now widely available on the internet. I thought that was kind of weird. And this is a modern show, but it's set in the Old West, but Deadwood on HBO featured the use of the term when one of its characters was facing a hazardous surgical procedure to remove a kidney stone. So I don't know if that was an anachronism, or maybe it does go back to the Old West. Uh, I don't know. They mentioned an SNL sketch, uh, sketch from 2001 
about people who are born without a taint or something like that. That really, <laughs> again, helped push it a little bit further into the mainstream. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that in the movie Dodgeball, a true underdog story, <laughs> just before a dodgeball match, one of the members of the team, Havertz Joe's, uh, Dwight. Which one was Dwight? Uh, uh, the tall, lanky one, I think. Okay. Uh, he announces, we're going to get our taints handed to us. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. I don't even remember that. And we've talked about dodgeball every week now for six weeks. I know. It, it is a throwaway line, but I was like, oh, crap. Well, it's mentioned in this. So there we go. We're going to get our taints handed to us. Uh, so that's all I know about the taints. 1955, I guess, is the earliest written appearance of the word. But if uh, you know, if you find an earlier one, please uh, hit up our taint line <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Jerry mentions the movie Fantastic Voyage as a way to cleanse Jenna of her taint. Uh, was saying that if, you know it, maybe if he could shrink down and make and kill all the germs himself, like in Fantastic Voyage. So that's a 1966 American submarine science fiction adventure film about a submarine crew who are shrunk to microscopic size and venture into the body of an injured scientist to repair damage to his brain. And Jean Delval plays that injured scientist whose name is Dr. Jan Bennis. Oh, my God. I know. How weird is that? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think they knew whenever they were writing this into the episode? They had to have, right? Maybe. Do do you think they caught that? They might have done a little research and gone, that's a weird coincidence, (laughs) but I don't know. It it might have just gone past him. Yeah, I, I have no idea. It, they probably it depends on how familiar they were with it because maybe they just call him Dr. Bennis through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Raquel Welch, Don, Donald Pleasance are in that too. Um, we're not. We're still not done with homework, by the way. This is the last one though. Cell Ray. Jerry says he bumps his bumped his lip on a Cell Ray, drinking a Cell Ray, and that's why he can't kiss Jenna. And Cell Ray is a celery flavored soft drink from Dr. Brown. Ew. No. Ew. What? Like, first of all, celery barely has a flavor anyway. And celery is water yeah <laughs> it's, and then it's, it's like it's thick grass filled with water yeah it, it's it's really just <laughs> a textural addition to any dish it doesn't add any flavor so man i don't know how much celery they have to go through to concentrate it enough to get you to taste it in a soda um you know so they're like mixing water with more fizzy water <laughs> like uh, can't you taste that delicious? Everyone wants to drink <laughs> celery, celery juice. It's evidently fairly easy to find in New York City, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and in South Florida because of, you know, the people from New York that end up living in, in Florida, but rather obscure elsewhere. And the flavor derives from celery seed extract is reminiscent of ginger ale, supposedly, but with a pronounced celery flavor that is more pungent or peppery than ginger ale. Uh, Celery. Oh God, I feel like this is uh, a slur coming up. By the way, Celery was so popular in the 1930s among New York City's Jewish community that it earned the nickname Jewish Champagne. That that ranks. <laughs> <laughs> that hits pretty high on the probable slur scale, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Oh no! Yeah, I don't know exactly. if I'm allowed to laugh at that. <laughs> Yeah, at first I wrote that and I was like, oh, yeah, Jewish people probably called it. I was like, oh, no, wait a second. No, it was probably oh, no. called that by non-Jewish people. Oh, no. And I was, and then I started thinking, I was like, oh, and I bet it's a lot more inexpensive compared to champagne. So that's another. Like, oh, <laughs> I no. Know, I know. I started really analyzing the, uh, the problem, the problematic nature of calling it Jewish champagne. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it, it, it was probably, yeah, 1930s. Let's waspy joke in the break room 
at our sales gig. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Brown's briefly produced a diet celery. Imagine the, the lack of taste with that. Uh, but that was discontinued due to low sales. You don't say. <laughs> uh, other celery tonics and celery sodas were produced in the 1890s, but only Dr. Brown's celery remains today. Last celery soda standing. I wish I could track one of these down for us to try. Would you Would you at least try a celery soda? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> maybe that's what we, maybe that's what we turn the, the Patreon into a taste test. A, a taste test. <laughs> That, that'll be that'll be a, another tier. Yeah, the, the, all, all the food that we always you know that we've kind of been slacking on tasting. You know, we have been. Yeah, yeah. We have a Jewish smorgasbord. I mean, it, it's hard to do food taste. It's hard to do food taste tests when when we're not in the same room. Yeah, remotely because it was easy to just buy one and then split it or whatever. But now we'd have to each get it, track it down. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Um, all right, so that is all the homework, believe it or not. we You knew if you listened to the last episode, it was going to be a, a lot because we had a ton, even just right in the first, like, three minutes, I think. Uh, but here's just a little bit of trivia and tidbits. The highway scenes were filmed on a studio roadway loop, and Kramer's dash across the highway for a crushed can was, I feel like it was in the script because it's obviously, what do they call it, marked and, and you know, and storyboard and everything like that. But his run <clears throat> was improvised which terrified the drivers and some of the onlooking cast and crew, especially since the drivers were only extras and production crew and not trained stunt drivers. So he's running out in front oh of people who God. thought they were just going to be, yeah, just drive around in a circle. And now he's like, you know, like uh, tempting death for this gag. Yeah. <laughs> So, so there's definitely an extra that had a heart attack thinking they were going to kill Michael Richards, yeah. one of the stars of the show. Yeah. The scene where the four principals are jammed into the janitor closet is evidently an homage to the famous Marx Brothers stateroom scene in A Night at the Opera. Uh, I was not familiar, but maybe if you have, you'll uh, if you were, you'll realize. Uh, Kristen Davis, who does play Jenna in this episode, uh, she originally auditioned for the part of Sister Roberta in season five, episode eleven, The Conversion, uh, but she lost out oh. to that actress. Yeah, Molly Hagan played that role. Yeah, Jeffrey Kurt Miller plays an. Uh, help me out with this because I couldn't figure out what they meant by this. Jeffrey Kurt Miller plays an uncredited role as a man in the lift in this episode. The only uh, elevator, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, and I was like, I don't remember an elevator scene in this episode. I, I don't either. And I was like, maybe he was one of the guys, one of the w- road worker guys, and he's standing on like a lift that that truck had. You know, like how oh, trucks maybe. have those flatbed kind of up and down things. Yeah. He also had roles in uh, season seven, episode five, the hot tub as an event guard, and in this episode we're about to talk about, he plays Neil. Oh my yeah. god! So if you not to jump too far ahead, but if you want to know what Neil looks like, uh, go back and check out the hot tub or the pothole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, it's like when you find out that the guy who played Wilson on Home Improvement had other roles, and you can go check him out and see what Wilson looked like. <laughs> see what the bottom half yeah. of his face looked like. <laughs> yeah, this episode earned Andy Ackerman an Emmy Award for outstanding direction. Well deserved. Finally, some recognition for mm-hmm. uh, Andy Ackerman and Jerry Seinfeld. In an appearance on the Tonight Show the night before this episode aired, declared the pothole to be one of the best episodes of the series. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I did star it, and I called it just as good as the Susie. Just that was my note for later on when I'm ranking them. I wouldn't say it's the... I, I really enjoyed it. I yeah. It's one of my top of the season. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's one of the best of the series, yeah, though. Yeah. But that's, 
That's some high praise. I know. I know. Maybe he just wanted everybody to watch it that night. You know, that's night. probably yeah. it. That's probably it. Um, he doesn't give a shit. No. Uh, and that is it. All right. Do we got any news or anything? Uh, well, the countdown to Netflix is up tomorrow as we are recording this. So it's it's gone if you're listening to this episode yeah. when it comes out. That's, that's the big news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had been counting down. Because, uh, I mean, originally, the episodes of Seinfeld were supposed to hit Netflix, June of 2021. That's what the original targeted date was. But now there are articles from Collider, articles from, uh, I think it was Variety, mm-hmm. articles from, what was the other one? Oh, Esquire, yeah. all saying Seinfeld is not going to hit Netflix until the fall. Yeah, September at the earliest is what everybody's saying. So we are uh, we are currently in what I have dubbed, uh, and you can accept or deny this the analog era ah uh, yes yeah if you, if you because tim i i had to go out and purchase season eight and season nine on dvd mm-hmm. i will most likely return them uh or sell them back yeah because it's it's a buyback place uh whenever they do hit netflix but i'm just bummed that i had to end up buying season eight i only need the last dvd of it. i know i know yeah, and I think I'm going to blow some Google Pay cash, like some credit that I have on on those. So, because I was like, oh, maybe I can just like grab the episodes on syndication. You know, I mean, like just find out when they because that's what I was doing, <laughs> I think, when we first started. And then I think on the first episode, you were like, whoa, Tim, you skipped a scene. And I'm like, what? And I was like, oh, the syndicated episodes chop out even more to probably put in more commercials. And so I can't watch oh, yeah. them. I, you know, you can't watch like the one that comes on your local, you know, Fox affiliate at 730 or 1130 or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, there is one thing that I noticed because I was looking at the individual DVD cases. Mm-hmm. Season nine has the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Oh, that's a relief. Yeah. Because I guess, is that, I, I don't even know if that's on, is that on Hulu? I don't even know. I don't think it is. Yeah. But that's... it's the next to last episode. Yeah. Let me see if it's on Google. Um, yeah, it's on there. You can get it if you're if you're buying it. Is it on Hulu? Oh, I don't know. Let me see. Yeah, it was weird to log on and, and see expiring Thursday. Like, oh, wow. Okay. It looks like it is on there. I don't know. Maybe they edit that part oh, okay. out. We don't, we'll have to see when we get to it. Because, yeah, you're, you're not even going to know if it's edited out because you've never seen it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Interesting. But, yeah, so September at the earliest for uh, Seinfeld and, and Netflix. And the other bit of news that I saw was that Jerry Seinfeld has signed a deal to make a movie for Netflix about Pop-Tarts. Huh? Yeah. He is co-writing, directing, producing, and starring in Unfrosted, a new film about the origins of Pop-Tarts, inspired by uh, his stand-up bit on 23 Hours to Kill, in case you didn't see that, about the about discovering Pop-Tarts as a kid and how they blew his mind and how he loves them. Uh, and he's writing, them, uh, writing it along with Spike Ferriston, who has written a couple episodes of Seinfeld, <laughs> and Barry Martyr, and Spike and Barry are two of uh, B-movies co-writers. Oh my god, yeah. okay. Uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe it'll be good. <laughs> maybe it will. It's gonna be. It's interesting that Seinfeld is directing it um, and co-writing it. I mean, and starring. Yeah, and starring in it. Yeah. It, is it gonna be like mockumentary or documentary or or biopic or all? Do, do we know anything about? No, it? No. All we really know is that it's about the origin of pop tarts, the invention of the okay. uh, of the pop tart. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so yeah, he said. Um, <laughs> 
He said he was stuck at home watching endless sad faces on TV. I thought this would be a good time to make something based on pure silliness. So we took my Pop-Tart stand-up bit for my last next up uh, Netflix special and exploded it into a giant crazy comedy movie. So I guess it's going to begin production in spring of 2022. Hmm, okay. Yep. So we will look forward to that. All right. Um, anything else? No, that's it. All right. Uh, we do have something in Newman's mail sack. Mm. Uh, we will get to that at the end of the show, as if this episode is not long <laughs> oh, enough. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last... Oh, Who the hell boy. knows? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I know I have been recording my file separately from <laughs> all of the downed attempts yeah. uh, that we have had to talk to each other. And, Tim, that is currently at one hour and 14 yeah, minutes. Yeah, Hopefully not that much time has passed once you are listening to this, the listener. Uh, <laughs> but if you've never listened to the show before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, I'm watching these episodes for the first time ever. Tim is watching them for the first time in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHuggingNoLearningShow at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. We did get another uh, five-star rating, uh, but that person did not give us a written review. Um, If you would like a holographic, no-hugging, no-learning sticker, free of charge, I might add, uh, you do have to leave the review on Apple Podcasts so, so that we know who you are we can shout out your name if you don't want it to be public that's totally fine just dm us or send us an email we can keep it private that's that's fine too Mm -hmm. that being said season eight episode 17 the english patient original air date march 13th 1997 uh i was four years two months and 21 days old and tim if you count this episode and every other episode we've got left we have 28 episodes until we become a Taint cast. Oh, <laughs> fuck you. Just anything that mentions the taint, we analyze. We give one episode to. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do an entire season about taint injuries on Jackass. Yeah, yeah we'll do that. No problem. Taint cast. Why taint not? Cast. You know? Uh, God damn it. <laughs> All right. If you're looking at TV Guy the Night of... March 13th, 1997, you are going to see Jerry lifts weights with his parents' Florida neighbor. Uh, I don't know if I like this. I think we can make it better at the end. Let's, uh, we'll try. <laughs> well, I, I, I will mention before we do get into it, now that we are in the analog era, who oh boy, you should see the description that is on the DVD case. Really? Do you want to give it to us now or do you want to? I, I think I'll save okay. it for the end of the okay. show. All right. I, I, it, I can't judge. Whether I'm going to like it or dislike it based on what you said. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll wait. I will wait. So we start with a cold open and Jerry and Elaine are riding the subway. And Elaine is complaining about the movie theater concession stand commercial where a box of Raisinets buys another box of Raisinets and how weird that is. Actually, maybe uh, Jerry, I forget who brings that up because Jerry kind of defends it saying the Raisinets are not for him to eat. Therefore, his Pepsi girlfriend and they talk about another candy who is is it the raisinettes that was like playing a saxophone or something like that i i think so yeah, yeah. and um he's a musician uh which you know they're kind of weird anyway they both agree and and jerry goes musician get a real job 
Did you notice the weird double take that Elaine does with the guy next to her at the end of this segment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of weird, but it was... What happened there? I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of weird, but I guess maybe it's just something you do on a subway that they kind of included. You know, it was a, a weird choice <laughs> from Elaine, like, oh, the extra's looking at me. I guess I better react like an actor would. So there you go. Yeah. yeah I thought it was a funny little tag. Um, you know, maybe real, maybe it was like kind of a realization like, oh, we're on a subway and people are listening to our asinine conversation about this. It's possible. Uh, so we open in Monks and George is ordering at the counter and he tells the waitress that he's had everything on the menu. So surprise me. And a beautiful woman walks in and taps him on the shoulder because she thinks he's Neil, her boyfriend, which George is like, what? You know, just just flabbergasted <laughs> by this. And then the waitress comes back. And gives him a halibut omelet and says, surprise. <laughs> Incredibly fast service, yeah. I might add. <laughs> yeah, really. Something's not cooked. The eggs or the halibut. <laughs> or both. I, I don't I don't want either uncooked no. item. Eggs or halibut. No. Um, did this server look familiar to you? Kind of. I wonder if she's just been in the background of, you know, the diner before. Maybe, maybe I can uh, I can put it down and see if we've uh, if she's a repeat because they do that all the time, you know. Up in Jerry's apartment, Superman is on the shelf, and Kramer bought a bunch of closeout T-shirts, uh, twelve for a dollar from this T-shirt place. That uh, and they all say number one dad. And do do they all say number one dad? I think they do because later on a lot of them pop up. Okay, yeah. I, I I didn't know all of them said number one dad. I I thought just the one did. Yeah, I might. I didn't know either until the very end when we see more of them together yeah, in one yeah. shot, and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe they were all yeah. Okay. So it says number one dad. It's a medium, <laughs> and Jerry is going to Florida to help his parents move into their new condo, and Kramer asks him to bring back some Cubans that uh, his guy is going to drop off, and. I thought I didn't know what to think of, of Jerry. He was like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that." And he's like, "Come on, help a brother out." Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to think of that. It was funny Kramer saying it, but I, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't funny Michael Richard, Richard saying it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. You know, George comes in and he is still just cannot stop thinking about how this beautiful woman thought he was her boyfriend, and he wonders if he what he hypothesizes there's only a small crucial change that he could make to attract more women like neil uh over at the paragon theater elaine is on a date and elaine wants to go see sack lunch which uh, the movie poster has a a family on it a mom and dad and, and a few kids and they're inside the lunch and elaine's like do you think it's a giant lunch sack or that they got shrunk down and put in it in it uh, meanwhile the guy wants to see the english patient and when they get up to the counter, sack lunch is sold out. So Elaine has to end up going to see the English patient. It is, it is here. Uh, we do learn his name is Blaine. Oh, we do. I didn't. I didn't pick up when they said that until like I thought this was another character we didn't learn until much, much later. No, no. Oh. I, I think Elaine. I think Elaine says it or something. I see. Um, but we, we we do get it here. All right. I know. Well, then I will call um, him Blaine. But I, I I loved Elaine just like so literal with the movie poster because yeah. he says like it's a family in a brown paper bag and she's just like yeah but don't you want to know how they got in there <laughs> yeah. as, as if that's part of the movie yeah they're actually going to be in the bag yeah <laughs> <laughs> not um i don't know i imagine it's about a kid who leaves his, his lunch at home and and the adventure of getting him his his sack lunch that ensues like mom coming to drop it off maybe him going home to get it 
and it's just one of those like you know one day it takes place all in the course of just a few hours of, of, a, of this crazy day where he was trying to retrieve his sack lunch that's my idea do you have a plot summary uh, offhand for I sack don't. Lunch? That, that's that's better than i could have come up with that's um yeah and and what's your uh, frame of reference for the english patient anything nothing at all i do remember you know i guess in 97 or whatever when it was you know the 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 Oscar darling of that year. And I think it did win a ton. We'll do a little dive on it next week, um, but I've never seen it, but I do remember the hype over at monks. George like has gone back down there and catches the woman from earlier on her way out of monks. And Neil's not there. Neil never showed up. He wanted to like get a look at Neil and she's like, Oh, well, you know, you don't really look that much like him friend. You're taller than Neil and you're in better shape than Neil. Do you work out? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all of this is just still it just getting even more puzzling to George. And he asks for if he could have Neil's phone number. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give a shit yeah. that the woman is coming on to him. Yeah, and he wants to talk to Neil. Back over at the Paragon, uh, Elaine is, what did I say? Uh, oh, oh, they're, they're leaving the movie uh, over at the Paragon. And Elaine thought the English patient stunk and Blaine really liked it. And it's at that point the ugly baby lady and Elaine's friends come out just bawling over the movie. And <laughs> Elaine still thinks it sucked. And the ugly baby lady said, oh, what about Ray Fines? I would trade my firstborn yeah. for him. And Elaine goes, yeah, yeah. got the short end of that stick. <laughs> what, what I didn't get, she calls him Ray Fines. Isn't his name Ralph? It's, it's spelled Ralph, but it's Rafe. I know. It's a really weird... Oh, my God. Get out of here. I didn't know they were the same people until someone told me that. I'm like, wait, you, you mean Ralph Fiennes is the same person as Ray Fiennes? Yeah. <laughs> and and because the, the PH and F are the same, they create like whatever you call that. It, it sounds like Ray Fiennes, but it's Rafe Fiennes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I mean, when you think about it... Okay. okay. Like, for a, like a brooding leading guy like that, Ralph really wouldn't work, you know? I don't know. I, I feel like it would have, like, the opposite effect that you think it would. Yeah, so you'd go, like, oh, no way is, is Ralph. Is there anyone gonna... really? Yeah, there, is there anyone named Ralph? No. There's got to be somebody named Ralph. <laughs> okay, yes, th there's someone in the world named Ralph. We're yes, going to get one-star like, reviews a... from all the Ralphs that listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, A-list actors, oh, there, yeah. there's no one named Ralph. Ralph Macchio? Is Ralph Macchio A-list to you? I mean, now that Cobra Kai is killing on Netflix, maybe. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, but he must have a substantial role, right? <laughs> I, I guess. I haven't watched it. He certainly did um, lead one entire movie. You, or, or maybe two entire yeah, movies. I, you can't I, deny that. I would argue that he was, was A-list maybe like 30 years ago. Yeah. But you're saying, oh, you're saying modern day, no one named Ralph could be a leading yeah. man. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting my thoughts all twisted up. Yeah, I no, I I do see what you're talking about. I just I just put in Ralph and saw what it auto completes. There's Ralph Bruno. He's an actor. Oh, he was on. He might be dead. He was on, just a, just kind of a character actor. Oh, he was on Seinfeld in the Note. Oh, he plays the doctor who writes the doctor note. His name was Ralph. Oh, <laughs> Ralph Bruno. And there's let me see. Let me go back to uh, Ralph Ralph Lauren. Oh, Ralphie May. I mean, he's a comedian, not a oh, not a yeah. leading guy. Ralph Nader. <laughs> I think he's done oh, he's God. done some acting, I think. But no, mainly a, a consumer advocate and and uh presidential spoiler. Ralph Waite is also an actor. 
known for his role as John Walton Sr. on the Waltons. So that was a leading man role for many years. Uh, but again, uh, he was born in 1928. <laughs> so right up Jerry Seinfeld's alley. Yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, it's it's not a complete death note to your career if you, you're an actor that wants to be named Ralph. But, uh, yeah, we, we may have already gone through. We've, we've got two leading guys, and one of them denounces that pronunciation. So we may have run out of our tolerance for Ralph. I don't know. But I don't know how we, besides just Rafe, besides you just, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's our little dive on Rafe Fines, I guess, for, for the time being and the pronunciation. So over at Del Boca Vista, Jerry's parents are moving back in to Del Boca Vista. And Marty is sh- or Morty is showing Jerry the rec center and the gym. And he is showing Jerry around wearing his number one dad shirt that he loves. And he says, this is the most wonderful, thoughtful thing you have ever done for me. And Jerry goes, you know, I bought you a Cadillac twice, (laughs) (laughs) which was great. Uh, And Izzy Mandelbaum comes in, uh, a.k.a. Lloyd Bridges. You recognize this guy, right? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. From uh, Airplane and uh, all those great comedic roles. Maybe we'll do a tiny dive on Lloyd Bridges. We probably don't need to because we both know who he is. But yeah, I'll write it down anyway, just because he's a bit. I mean, this was definitely a cameo. This guy was well-renowned in in the comic uh, universe at this point. And he is, uh, as Morty points out to Jerry, 80 years old and still strong as an ox. And he's like, you know, watch this. And he, like, lifts up a a dumbbell that has, I don't know, 35 pounds on it. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't much. That's for sure. Somebody who knows weights could be able to tell us what this was. But, yeah, it's, it's like, not even the biggest one on each side. It's, like, a a medium-sized one and then a tiny little one on, on each side pretty much. And Jerry's like, Jerry says that he can lift what Izzy is lifting, which becomes a challenge to Izzy when this other guy who uh, comes into the gym tells him about it. And Jerry, you know, he's, he just relents. He's like, fine, look, okay, I'm lifting it, see? And he easily lifts this thing and does a couple of curls with it even. And uh, <laughs> so Mandelbaum, there's another dumbbell that has even more weight on it. And he tries picking it up and throws out his back. And someone says, call an ambulance. And Morty says, there's an already an ambulance here for Mrs. Glickman. And I noticed that the other guy that comes in was wearing a DeWitt Clinton High School shirt. And so, of course, I had to do a little dive on that. It is still a high school in the Bronx. <laughs> and it was boys only up until 1983. So I would say this guy at Del Boca Vista definitely went to uh, the DeWitt Clinton High School when it was uh, a boys only school. Hmm. They do have some famous alumni, like a boogie with a hoodie went there. Oh, yeah. okay. And so did Bob Kane, who uh, co-created Batman, and huh. Ace Freely from Kiss, and Cool Keith, and the aforementioned Ralph Lauren went there. What an assortment of people. I know. Uh, and not only Bob Kane, but also Stan Lee. Oh, yeah, my God. Attended okay. the Whit Clinton High School in the Bronx. <laughs> it actually might not have been in the Bronx at that point, because it's moved around a little bit, but it, that, that's it where, it where it is now in the Bronx. Uh, so over at the Paragon, Elaine is finally getting to see Sack Lunch by herself, because I guess no one will go see it with her. And all of her friends come out of seeing the English patient again for the second time. And who comes out? This is where I first noticed his name. Blaine comes out with them. She takes another shot of the English patient. And Blaine kind of says to the ugly baby lady, see, this is what I'm talking about. She won't stop making fun of the English patient, in other words. And he says, I don't know if I can be with someone who doesn't like the English patient. <laughs> God. Yeah. This, I, I do like them sending up 
the movie like this because I, you know, there are movies where you can't say you didn't like them without getting completely judged and and getting yourself into like a thirty minute argument <laughs> about why it is good and why you're wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't think of the last thing that was like this, but I mean, maybe something like Hamilton. You know, like you can't say like, oh, I didn't. Hamilton sucked. <sighs> you know? Yeah i I still haven't watched it, even though it's been available on Disney Plus for like a year now. You have seen hamilton <laughs> <That's> how my... <laughs> dare you um yeah I, I mean i will freely say that i don't want to see any other of lin-manuel miranda's movies <laughs> like uh, west side story or in the heights because it sounds like it's all the same character yeah yeah um and, and he's certainly got a style too so if you don't like that you know that style it's you're not gonna like anything else you hear you know one of our neighbors really loved In the Heights, so Sarah and I are going to check it out eventually, but you know, maybe when it's on pay-per-view for everybody or whatever. Uh, on demand, sorry, not pay-per-view. <laughs> that's that's what it's called. Yeah. Well, I mean, pay-per-view is what we used to call it uh, back in the 90s. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, oh, I knew that. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I, 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 oh. Tim, Tim, I was I was eight by the end of the 90s. I knew what pay-per-view oh, okay. was. Well, you said it in a way that's like, oh, man, how did you just make up pay-per-view? Like, yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> No, it was just the way that, like, the roundabout way you said it to get to on demand. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It, it just pay per view. Still, just like when you pointed out, I still call Adobe Audition cool edit. <laughs> uh, you know, once I start calling, uh, like for instance, when we both worked for iHeart, I couldn't stop calling it Clear Channel because that's what it was. That's right. When I that's right. first worked for them. Um, yeah. So um, where the hell? Oh yeah, I just can't think of anything recently that um, you know you weren't allowed to say. That you did well, anything else that was like untouchable, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, you can't say you didn't like that movie because it's it's such a it's such an important movie. Like maybe Black Panther was another thing that like people kind of felt weird about saying they didn't like because you know maybe because of the the moment and the statement that it made or whatever. Yeah, just stuff just stuff like that. Over at back at Del Boca Vista, Helen is yelling about yelling to Jerry about challenging Izzy Mandelbaum, even though that's not really what happened. And, you know, they're going to go visit him tomorrow. And Morty and Helen are about to go to sleep. And he's sleeping in his number one dad shirt, which is... Which (laughs) we we see for the first time without his, like, cardigan or or jacket on. It is skin tight. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those, like, (laughs) beer belly old guys. You know, whereas... Have you ever noticed that there is kind of, like, two kinds of old guys? Like, the skinny... Like break them in half, old guys, and then like the the really yep. fat old guys, like Mort- like Morty and yep. Izzy are a great example of this. And yeah, I'm like, that's <laughs> weird. How do you? When does it? When is it decided which one you become? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I I think if you live your life by like having your body type one way or the other, like you're either like obese or you're not yeah that that determines what kind of old guy you you, are like if you just have a if you have a little bit of a dad bod i think you'll be like izzy but i I think if uh if you have always been like heavier no shame you'll just be more like morty yeah so do you think you'll be like a like an izzy too because you've been like skinny all your life i think i'll end uh looking at my dad i think i'm definitely gonna be an izzy yeah (laughs) <laughs> Both of my grandpas were, I would say, more like Mortys from my memory of them. But they, you know, and, okay. and so they were more like probably dad bodish through the, you know, through their, you know, the war, the Great War. <laughs> God damn it. Um, they did. They fought. Well, I know at least one of them fought in World War II. I don't know about the other one. Um, but 
you know, and then they, you know, they, they didn't thin out, but I just wonder if like, you know, it's going to get, can you like put on weight in your sixties and decide that you want to be like more of a Morty than a, than an Izzy? I don't know. <laughs> you, you probably could, but I, I'm guessing the risks are much worse Yeah, for, yeah. for trying to put on a little weight. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not even 30 yet. I don't have to worry about cholesterol. Yeah. I don't think. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's definitely going to get me because I've never put on weight. You know, I every so often I'll put on like five pounds or whatever, but um, I've always kind of been the same weight ever since the end of puberty. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, mm-hmm, yeah, it's mm-hmm. gonna be it's gonna be interesting when it finally does. I always thought it was gonna be like a biscuit tin. You know, like. How when you open <laughs> when you open like uh, crescent rolls and it like pops and you're like oh that's what it's gonna that's what's gonna happen to me one day it's just gonna happen all of a sudden you're gonna wake up after eating Taco Bell like <laughs> one too many times the night before and you're just gonna have like the first evolution of Tim Allen as Santa in the Santa Claus exactly exactly that's what you're gonna look like <laughs> yeah um, he tells Helen this shirt will never leave my body. He's still so proud of it. Uh, And Jerry mentions, he's like, all right, 7.30 and got the house to myself. Uh, It's at that point that there's a knock on the door and it's Kramer's guys. And Jerry says, like, what? he was like, hey, we're, you know, we're Kramer. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm supposed to bring back, I'm bringing back some Cubans. And he's like, yeah, we're the Cubans. Oh, God. So he's bringing, so now Kramer is uh, engaging in the flesh trade, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago. (laughs) Kramer is human trafficking. Yeah, that's what this is. This is human trafficking. And so Jerry calls Kramer, and he got these guys to make his own Cuban cigars in the U.S., and uh, that's the plan. Kramer is also making his sauce in Jerry's apartment shirtless, and Jerry catches him. I, I did really like Jerry just asking Kramer on the phone, like, I thought you meant Cuban cigars! And Kramer just goes... Jerry, Cuban cigars are illegal in this country. As if human trafficking is not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Jerry, Cuban cigars are illegal. I like the the weird little aside. Like, it has no bearing on the episode whatsoever, but I like the weird just, here's another one of Kramer's uh, idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies. There we go. Uh, Idiosyncrasies. Jerry knows he makes his spaghetti sauce or whatever in his apartment, Mm -hmm. and when he makes his (laughs) sauce, he is shirtless, and I love that he traps him. You know, he's like, like you're not wearing a shirt, are you? He's like, yes, I am. He's like, what color is it? And he can't think of one color. <laughs> <laughs> I I also loved in this scene another aside as the the Cubans uh, or what we currently know yeah. as the Cuban men are sleeping on the couch. Morty comes uh, out, yeah. doesn't look at Jerry, <laughs> doesn't look at anything, just goes right to the fridge. Who are they? Oh, Cuban cigar rollers. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> and goes right back to bed. That was great. Love that. Yeah, and because it, it explained away a huge plot hole. Like everyone would be going, "What a Morty and Helen? They wake up and this guy, these guys are blah blah blah." And it's like, no, that just did it all. Like, don't tell your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so up in, I don't think we know her name yet. This woman's apartment. I just wrote woman's apartment. We do not. Yeah. So yep. up up in woman's apartment, uh, she took George <laughs> out to dinner to give her. He was like, "Oh, all I needed was Neil's number. You know, it was nice of you to take me out to dinner." She invites him in. She couldn't be, uh, you know, any more uh, willing to, you know, get it on with George in that moment. 
she even leans in for a kiss as George walks off because he doesn't. He wants to be home in case Neil calls, which doesn't make any sense because he got Neil's number. Yeah, <laughs> and also invites George to breakfast tomorrow. Yes. She's like, I don't have to be up early. Do you want to get breakfast tomorrow? Yeah, that's like spend the night tonight. That's, re- that's all yeah. she's saying there. And George is like, ah, I really should get home in case Neil calls. I mean, presu- we can we can assume that she gave him ne- that she gave Neil his number and him Neil's number, but it's not made clear. It still sounds weird because it's not. Yeah. Whenever she asks him for breakfast, George also asks, "Does Neil like to eat a big breakfast?" <laughs> yeah. Still obsessed with Neil. But you know, I did write down good for George because it's not out of morals, but he still will not is not sleeping with another man's girlfriend, even though he could, and she's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I you know, it's it's not from having a moral compass, but it is a good moral decision for George, even though it's inadvertent. I'm like, wow, that's you know, because George a little bit ago, when was it that he was like, oh, let me guess, you're not gonna do it because of society. Oh yeah, uh Milos. Milos <laughs> oh, once again, yeah. Milos and his wife, the the flesh oh. trade. Yeah. <laughs> it comes up again. Yeah, so so good for George, even though it's an inadvertent moral victory. Uh, over at Monks, Elaine is ranting to the counter waitress about the English patient, about how everyone loves it, even though she thinks it sucks. And the waitress really liked it and begins ignoring her and basically refuses to serve Elaine after that. <laughs> uh, over at Del Boca Vista, we get an exterior shot of a big condo, and it's Mandelbaum's. And it's because he owns the magic pan. And as Morty tells Jerry, this is all big crepe money. I guess it's a <laughs> a crepe restaurant. And I didn't realize how real it was until later. And we actually see it. But I'm like, I'd never heard of this establishment. And it's a weird thing to put in a show. Was it a chain? Or, or are only New Yorkers going to understand this? I don't know. Yeah. Uh... I, I have I have no idea. I just loved the phrase "big crepe yeah. money." Anytime you put "big" in front of something that doesn't deserve it like that, it, it's funny. I mean, that's one of those jokes that always works on me too. This is big crepe money. Oh yeah, Mandelbaum sees the number one dad shirt that Morty is wearing, and he sees that as a challenge, and he stands up, uh, and his back goes out once again, and once again, somebody else call an ambulance. I think Morty says, "Call an ambulance." And Jerry says, "I think I saw one a couple of doors down." And we officially yeah. have a runner. And I officially loved it. Not only that, not only uh, that runner, but we also have Izzy yelling, (laughs) it's go time. It's go time. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I I love both of those. But I I thought the call an ambulance and there's one already because that's like, you know, living uh, and and being married to somebody who has worked in uh, retirement communities. There is always an ambulance at them, which is just a sad (laughs) fact of life, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But it's true. Back in the apartment, Jerry can't believe what George did, leaving and, and not going inside with her. He's like, you know, you have Danielle. You out Neil. And George, you know, finally clicks. He's like, oh, yeah. As he says, there's a new Neil in town. And when he leaves on that line, there's a little smattering of applause, which I thought was kind of weird. <laughs> did you think this deserved... The little applause break there. I, I must not have even caught it. I thought it deserved it even less than the joke is jerk store. Jerk store is the joke. Because at least that was like a fired up emotional rant. And this was yeah. this was really just one little line. I, and But I did like that Jerry threw this in. You know, I leave town for a few days. The whole operation's in shambles. You know, like he wasn't there. Like this would have happened a lot earlier if he'd been there to talk some sense into George, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Jerry's parents call and... 
Izzy is seeing a back specialist in New York, and Jerry's going to go visit him. And Kramer comes in, and his Cubans, they arrived on the bus. Uh, I'm glad they mentioned that, too, because I was like, are they going to fly back with Jerry? Does Jerry have to, like, front the bill for all of these three guys to ride? But no, so they took the bus. He picked them up at the bus station, and they're actually Dominicans. And now I feel like we're getting into some real cigar aficionado humor. That was lost on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I didn't get a lot of this. Yeah, it, it it seemed, uh, yeah, above my head as someone who... Are, yeah. are, are Dominican cigars of a lesser quality? Yeah, I mean, my... I, apparently? Just you know, from what I know, I'm, I'm like, Cubans are probably number one, just the way everybody talk about them. And mm-hmm. probably Dominicans are passed off as Cuban cigars in counterfeit situations, you know? Like, okay. to people who can't necessarily tell the difference or whatever. You know, like there's there's going to be a line later on in, in just a couple scenes that that is, again, more cigar aficionado humor that I think n- n- nails that point home. But again, for like I have smoked one or two cigars in my life. I couldn't even tell you the brand. But yeah, it's it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just not it's just not something that I really got, you know, over at Jay Peterman's Jay Peterman and an employee are they're, they're wrapping up a meeting with Elaine. Well, by the way, was this Lin-Manuel without his goatee? Is this the guy's? It I was. thought so. I was like, he does not look anything like Lin Manuel without that goatee. <laughs> now I have to see Lin Manuel without. Wait, I have seen him without a goatee. I'm pretty sure I have. So it really was just the goatee <laughs> all along that made him look like that. But yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. And they are raving about the English patient. They both loved it. And yeah, yeah. he he says that the English patient ravished ravished him. me. I love. I don't think I've ever described a movie that way. No, I haven't either. But it was it was good, like pretentious pretentious movie talk, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, they ask Elaine about it, and Elaine to get out of the long conversation about hating it. You know, she realizes that she will, you know, that bad things happen when she tells people she doesn't like it, and so she lies and says uh, to avoid giving her opinion. Says, "I, you know, I've I've never seen it." And Jay Peterman says you've never seen the English patient? And he's like, that's it. We're going right now. <laughs> <laughs> Over at the New York hospital, where uh, location we've been uh, several times, uh, Mandelbaum, Izzy Mandelbaum has his has a world's greatest dad shirt that his son made him. And that outranks, in his opinion, the number one dad. So he's the better dad. And I like Jerry's line. You know, I'm not sure any of these uh, rankings are actually official or something like that. And his son comes in, who is almost as old as Izzy Mandelbaum. <laughs> and Izzy mentions he got married in high school. <laughs> then the son, uh, you know, accuses Jerry of putting his dad in the hospital. And he challenges Jerry. This was a great line. He's like, why don't you pick on somebody your own age? He's like, got any kids? <laughs> <laughs> and so he takes that as a challenge. And he said, I'll lift anything in this room over my head. And Jerry's like, don't do it. And Izzy says, the TV. And right when Izzy's son tries to lift the TV, his back goes out. Uh, someone yells, I think it's Izzy, call an ambulance. And Jerry goes, we're already in a hospital. Is it is it Izzy's son who yells, it's go time here? I think he does, yeah. I, I think it is, okay. <laughs> uh, over at, uh, Kramer is meeting with his investor. And this is, as he mentions his name, Earl Hoffler. Did you recognize this guy? No. He's the Texan from season six, episode 22, The Diplomats Club. Oh, yes. okay. So Kramer obviously stayed in touch with him over, over the years and, and wow. finally had a good idea for all his money. Remember, they were betting on arrivals and departures and stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so that's that's him. Same actor. <laughs> and Man, uh, what a continuity. Point. Yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah, pretty awesome. 
and Kramer he yells once again we get Kramer yelling a fake language uh, at people <laughs> yeah e- even even the captions oh, on no. this were it was just babbling Spanish oh, yeah I would have I mean it I don't know if there was any actual Spanish word so I think I would have preferred fake Spanish yelling yeah Um, And so the uh, supposed Cubans, we know they're Dominicans, they are dressed in the classic Cuban military uniform. And as Earl says, wait a second, are you trying to sell me Dominicans and a Cuban rapper? By that he means they're dressed like Cubans, but we do get, you know, we also get like human trafficking humor in here too, because before there was a joke, there's another runner like, we're talking about people, right? (laughs) <laughs> we get we get that in here too, where um, I, I forget where it comes up, but Earl says he's like we're we're talking about people, right? Because the the line gets a little blurry there. But Dominicans and a Cuban mm-hmm. rapper makes me think that's something that happens to people who buy cigars and can't tell the difference or whatever sometimes. But the, he's like, well, they uh, you know they rolled for Castro, and he's like, I thought I thought Castro didn't smoke cigars anymore. He's like, no, but he doesn't. But for his brother Dennis, and he's like Dennis Castro, and then and then Kramer says Dwayne. <laughs> And then Earl says, get out, get the hell out of my office. <laughs> Over at Monks, Danielle uh, says that Neil called, and she has broken up with Neil for George, but he wants to meet up for coffee. And George is like, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. Move in with me. That's uh, better than coffee, right? Beats the hell out of coffee, doesn't it? Jesus. <laughs> Back at the theater... At the English patient, Elaine is super bored and annoyed at having to sit through this thing again. And Jay Peterman is bawling as everyone else in the theater is. Back at Monk's, George is freaking out. He's got to stay a step ahead of Neil. Now he's there with Jerry, by the way. Uh, He's got to stay a step ahead of Neil, asking her to move in. Uh, And Jerry starts wondering, maybe it's Neil Armstrong. And George says, well, then I'm going to Mars. And then Jerry says, maybe it's Neil Diamond. (laughs) And George, uh, at that point, pretty much begs him to stop. Kramer comes in, and he points out that the Dominicans are in a corner booth. He's like, yeah, well, I told them all about Cuba, and they really took to it. And, you know, the Marxism and all that stuff. And he's like, and there's not any work. I mean, there's no work. People get restless. And then they come after El Presidente, as he calls himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, this was a... this was. I really feel like you have to know about cigars and Cuban history to know... And maybe it was, like, fresh in everybody's mind at this moment. Maybe there was, like, some weird anniversary maybe. of, you know, the, the beginning of communism in Cuba. And so <laughs> it was top of mind. But it was really kind of lost on me. Like, I got it. But I'm like, why? Why do a whole episode, you know, as an allegory for the Cuban Revolution? I didn't get it, mm-hmm. you know? What did you think of Jerry's way to describe his situation to George, talking about the Mandelbaums? And he said, it's like if one of them dies, the other wants to bench press the casket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so over at the hospital, we find out that the TV was bolted to the table. It's at that point an even older guy comes in, and Izzy yells dad, and the younger son yells grandpa, and he finds out that the the kid broke his back trying to, his grandson broke his back trying to lift the TV, so he tries lifting the TV, his back goes out, and... And here it's Jerry that says, it's go yeah. time, right on cue. We hear the <laughs> crack sound effect. Yeah, and he still thought he could do it, even though it was bolted down. And they're chanting, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. Oh, wait, did I skip a scene here? Oh, maybe there was like a little... I think there was maybe like a little... No, the, This all happens in the same... Uh, it, it, 
Yeah, it all, it all happens in the same scene. It, it fades into all three right. of them laid up in that same So room. now they're all in hospital beds, and he, he still thought he could do it even though it was bolted down. They keep chanting Mandelbaum, but uh, there's no one at the Magic Pan now to roll the crepes. And so everyone's out of commission, and Jerry's like, wait a second, you just need somebody to roll? Uh, maybe I can help you out. And the dad, I'm sorry, the, the grandpa, the oldest one, yells, hey, I can't see the TV. And so at that point, Jerry picks up the entire TV <laughs> and the stand it's bolted to and moves it to the center of the room. and With ease. Yeah, with ease. And that got a big applause, which I thought was well-deserved. I thought that was a great reveal. I thought that was funny. Over at the Guild 50th Street Theater, Jay Peterman is still enamored with the English patient. And Elaine is fed up. She's like, to stop telling your story. Why don't you just die? He's like, wait a second. What do you, you know? Jay Peterman realizes she's seen it before and she thinks it sucks. And then he goes, oh, why didn't you say so? You're fired. And she's like, great. I'll wait for you outside. <laughs> <laughs> Over at the Magic Pan, we do get this, um, you know, reveal of, of the Magic Pan exterior, which is at Columbus and 81st. Uh, so it was a real <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, this was perfect for you because it shows the street I signs. really appreciate when they do that, yeah. Because <laughs> I knew we'd do a little dive on it, but yeah. As, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is perfect for Tim. <laughs> yeah, most of the time I really have to look for that, you know, and then I have to squint because it's in the distance, and I'm like, is that a three or a five? And It was, it was in yeah, focus. very here. much. And so uh, Elaine is um, eating there with Jerry, and she can have her job back if she visits the Tunisian desert uh, where they filmed the English patient. And the Dominicans are all rolling crepes. Uh, Danielle is there breaking up with Neil uh, officially for George. Uh, and everyone starts tearing into their crepes and cutting into them, and the crepes start spraying everywhere. Um, and they've been rolled too tight by the Dominicans. And as Kramer says, that's why you got to get real Cubans. At least I think it was Kramer that says that. <laughs> Might have been I, Jerry. I think, I think you're right. Over at the Metropolitan Hospital Center, which is a real place, still at 1901 First Avenue, still there. And Neil is all wrapped up, so we don't get to see his face, but he's burned. And George comes in to see Danielle and notices that Neil does have a cane. That's one of the things that he posited. He's like, maybe it's a, a cane or a monocle or a top hat. And he's like... She's not dating Mr. Peanut, as Jerry said uh, a while back. Mm -hmm. And so the cane is something that George is like, I knew it was a cane. And Danielle, she can't move in with George anymore because she's, she's got to take Neil to a clinic in England, uh, which I think is a reference to the English patient. I think Ray Fine's face was bandaged oh. up kind of in that movie, although I don't know. Uh, but that, that seems to be okay. an image that of, I associate with the movie. References, a lot of references and jokes that are required... Uh, it's required of you to know the English patient and required of you to know uh, Cuban cigar culture. Yeah, and Cuban history, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, you really had to be alive this week and cogent to really get this episode. There's a lot of dated humor. Because I don't even think the English patient has had much staying power. You know, I mean, like, that's not a movie that people go, oh, yeah, one of the best Oscar uh, on the list of best pictures. <laughs> that's number one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it's had any staying power besides this year. So George says, marry me. Uh, I'll, and then as she's walking out the door to get something for Neil, I guess, he goes, I'll burn myself. I'll burn my parents. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? So as... George, you know, is there alone in the hospital room with Neil and uh, about to leave. He says, George, I win. And George <laughs> leaves the room, seemingly uh, defeated. But he does put his hand back through the door and unplug Neil's IV before he leaves. 
And that's pretty much the end of the episode. We do get one last little bit with Elaine on a plane to Tunisia. And the in-flight movie, she's so excited, is Sack Lunch. She's finally going to get to see it. But the Dominicans jump up, and they hijack the plane, and they're going to Cuba. And so they yell, turn that movie off. And that's the end of the episode. Although we do get something that I noticed we got in the last episode, and that's a audio stinger. Yeah, I didn't like this. We hear the Mandelbaum chant. Now, you remember last yeah, week, I thought it was why? weird that we got one more Newman scream over the you know production cards. That, that, that wasn't last week. That was, um, oh, that, God, that was when. No, that was last week. No, that wasn't with the pothole. Yeah, it was, because he, he, uh, Kramer and the paint thinner, that's what lit it on fire. That's what lit his truck on fire. Are you oh, thinking yeah. of another one? Yeah, you're right. Do we okay. have another audio? Uh, nope. Oh, okay. Nope. That, that, that was it. I just totally forgot those were the same episode. Yeah. And we did that last yeah. week. <laughs> so it's, it's weird that they're doing this, and I wonder if that's going to continue, because I don't really remember it. But yeah, we get a little Mandelbaum uh, audio stinger. So Did you mention that uh, all of the Dominicans were wearing the number one dad shirt? I did not this time. But yes, we referenced that earlier. And yeah, this is where they're all wearing number one dad shirts, <laughs> which is weird. I'm like, is that a Cuban reference that we should get? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ted, wait a minute. Is that because you give out cigars when you have a baby? Oh, my God. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I don't think it's very (laughs) obvious, but I think that's why they're wearing number one dad shirts. And they're they're baby blue like you'd hand out if you had a boy. I think that's what's going on here. Wow. Uh, (laughs) You know... I, I think all of this changes the way I feel about this episode. Really? Do, do tell. I'll, I'll, I'll get into it, but I, I think this changes it. <laughs> okay, so what do we got for homework? Uh, okay, we have the waitress at the beginning. Have we seen her before in an episode? Uh, the English patient. What's the deal with that? Lloyd Bridges. A little dive on him. The magic pan. And that's it. All right. What do you like for cover art this week? Ah, oh, man. Tough one. Tough one. What do we have? I mean, it's got to be. Maybe all, all the Mandelbaum guys... In the hospital, something with Jerry and the Mandelbaums in the hospital, something there. Okay. I, I was thinking because we are now in the analog era, mm-hmm. I feel like it would only be different for me to have a more analog approach to our cover art. So maybe I'll just try and doodle something uh, on a post-it note and take a picture of that. Yeah, I was going to say you can't even take a millennial <laughs> screenshot. Like, I mean, I guess you no. could because you have the DVD, but that's good. That's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. It, if I don't end up doing that, I'll just take a screenshot of that. Uh, all right. Let's see if we can make the description a little bit better. Okay. So we had Jerry lifts weights with his parents' Florida neighbor. Now, Tim, I did mention to you the episode description as is stated by the Seinfeld Season 8 DVD box set. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear yeah, that? Yeah, please. <clears throat> Kramer asks Jerry to bring him some Cubans from Florida so he can start his own cigar business. <laughs> Elaine shocks everyone when she admits to hating the movie The English uh. Patient. Jerry competes with octogenarian Izzy Mandelbaum. George is attracted to a woman because she confused him for her boyfriend. Lloyd Bridges guest stars. Wow. I mean, even I think that's too long. <laughs> <laughs> but I did... It's ridiculously unnecessary. I did like some of it. I like Jerry competes with an octogenarian. That's great. Yeah, I like that a lot better than Jerry lifts weights with his parents' Florida yes. neighbor. Because he doesn't lift weights with them. No. It, that makes it sound like, It's not yeah. like he goes and works out. Right. So I love Jerry competes with an octogenarian. I like, 
I like the George synopsis too. I think I could shorten if we needed it. Um, is is this the A story? Is the Mandelbaum's the A story? I guess it is kind of. Yeah. I I I would say the only so. thing I would add is that um, what what's the 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 Elaine one too? Like um, Elaine, what was it? Elaine faces consequences or something like that. I- Elaine shocks everyone oh. when she admits to hating the movie The English Patient. Yeah. What about Elaine dislikes a popular movie? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. just want You just want to keep those two, Jerry and yeah, Elaine? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, J- Jerry competes with an octogenarian and Elaine dislikes a popular yeah. movie? I, 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 like I don't that. want to make a habit of this because I never would have come up with the word octogenarian. But I, but I, I like the, I like the little shortcut we took, especially because this episode is already long enough. <laughs> yeah, and they are all like yeah. that. All of the episode descriptions for the DVDs are like that. honestly, I, they... I won't I won't read all of them. But if there's ever one that's heinously yeah. bad or long, I'll, I'll I'll try and read that. Okay, I I I like the um, honestly they should be all like that because if I was looking for this episode, I wouldn't find it with the Hulu description you know but like if you're yeah. if you're what if you're looking for a specific episode of seinfeld you want it to be like what episode was that and, you're, and you want to read all of the plot lines in great detail you know uh, so how did you feel about this episode at the beginning and then how did you feel after the the number one dad um thing before we we talked about it i did star it but ah. i did start and write low ah. next to it so if it would have even made the cut into my top episodes, that would have been a shock. It probably would have been cut out if I were to do like a top five. Mm-hmm. After all of the revelations of, oh, well, you need to know this and you need to have seen this movie and this is a deep cut into this, <laughs> I'm taking that star Ooh, away. Whoa, removing a star. Like, I am removing the star <laughs> that I gave this. Like, I enjoyed the episode. I really did. But like... Dear God, don't make me sit through a movie and take a history class just to watch an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's it's interesting that you enjoyed it before knowing it. There was a deeper level to it, and now you're like, oh well, yeah. I maybe I didn't enjoy it as much as yeah. Even I fell on that. Like again, it's a great baseline episode. I got some good laughs. The Mandelbaum storyline is is one that doesn't work on me very much. It's just a joke that I'm like, yeah, that it worked the first time, and now that I'm watching it again, I'm like, ah, it's just not as funny as great as Lloyd Bridges is. Old men not being able to lift stuff. You know, I'm like, it kind of doesn't work past the first viewing for me. Yeah. So it was just one that I you know was too familiar with. So again, a good baseline episode, but. Not going to get a star, not even a star to remove from me. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have something in Newman's mail sack this week. So let me uh, not? just unzip that real quick. Andy Terrell uh, wrote to us. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Andy. Uh, Andy says, hi, guys. In a couple of recent episodes, you mentioned that one or two of the story arcs didn't resolve. The episode just ends without wrapping up one or more of the storylines. Jason Alexander discussed this in an interview a couple of years ago. In the first or second season, he talked to Larry David about this exact issue. Jason said that the A storyline might resolve, but the B and C never did. Or the B story might resolve, but the A storyline never did. Or sometimes none of them resolved and the episode just sort of ended. He told Larry David, you can't write episodes (laughs) like this. The viewers won't like being left hanging. Larry told Jason that the show isn't about stories. It's about funny. Jason said that you can't end a story halfway through... And Larry David replied, but it isn't funny after that. (laughs) So that's why some stories never resolve on screen. Larry David and the writers decided that those stories weren't funny after a certain point, so they just didn't continue the story. If the situation's conclusion wasn't funny, they just left it out. I love love it. Every time I hear one of Larry David's philosophies, I'm like, 
brilliant. I mean, he just breaks all the rules of, of writing and comedy and, and look at him. You know, I mean, like that's and that really does. I mean, that goes into the, uh, the, the it's a show about nothing. First of all, it's like, you know, so what? I mean, that's sometimes you never find out. That's the show. That's life. Yeah. You know, it's it's not about <laughs> resolving stories. It's about nothing. And also, it, yeah. no hugging, no learning. Like no hugging might lead to some, uh, or, or like resolving that might lead to some sentimentality, and or or somebody might have to learn something, and we don't want to do that. Exactly. You know. So if they never learn a lesson and they just leave it uh, hanging like that, <laughs> that's the philosophy of the show. Uh, Andy also does go into uh, a little bit more detail. I, I think we've covered this before. Um, that Jason Alexander uh, originally approached the role of George as a a Woody Allen impression, but then he later on learned that it was Larry <laughs> David, so then he just changed it to being Larry David. Yes, yeah, that's awesome. But uh, lo- love the podcast, guys. Andy in Texas. Andy, thank you so yeah. much for writing in. That's Very awesome. Informative. <laughs> I, I I love love reading about larry david's philosophies yeah. and just how fucked up and i are. just know also that he doesn't care what anybody thinks about them you know like he, he's yeah it's you know he'll, he'll do what he yeah. wants he's larry david what are you yeah. gonna do about it <laughs> uh, okay well next oh i gotta zip up newman's oh. mail sack <clears throat> zoop i think that did yep. it uh okay so next week we've got season eight episode 18 the nap original air date April 10th, 1997, four weeks after this Dang. episode. Yeah, I don't know what was what was going on in March and April of 97, but four weeks in between new episodes, see, new episodes wow. seems like a long time. Uh, but if you're looking at TV Guy that night, you are going to see George discovers how to take a nap at work and not get caught. I love it. I can already see something I would cut. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I think this is going to be a good episode. I think there's some good stuff in here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Is is that it? <laughs> I think so. I you know I was gonna try and edit this podcast, edit this episode tonight, oh, so that I could just push you it out, silly, silly man, ASAP. Oh, I I was such a fool three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. For no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hallwell. Be good. Be good.